brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy, Editor-in-Chief of Digiday. Um, and today we are joined by Poppy McDonald. Poppy is the president of Politico. Welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Okay, so Poppy, so you returned to Politico after being at Atlantic. You had been at Politico, running Politico Pro. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, you returned. What has been, and it was a time when there's a lot of changes going on with Politico. Definitely. You know, uh, people left. They started Rivals, Bloods versus Crips. We'll get into that a little Mm -hmm. bit later. But what has been at the top of your agenda the past year? The top of my agenda has really been about refocusing on Politico on our audience, um, the people that we serve and how we relentlessly focus on delivering products and experiences that meet their needs. And so I would say that was looking at our pro subscription business, which I launched uh, seven years ago, and just thinking about, okay, we have now have 16 verticals, we have deep coverage on every policy area, what are the things that we can do to help those people better navigate Washington? And that was looking at things like adding a tool this year, Legislative Compass, that is really all about data. And it's helping people uh, have predictive intelligence about what legislation is launching and how it will uh, impact their industry. Okay, so subs. I mean, because Politico is an interesting model. And mm-hmm. I know I was at Adweek when they were trying to, to figure it out. And it was always going back to Politico because they were saying, well, Politico... It has a, the advantage of, of B2B, which is high price subscriptions, mm-hmm. um, but then it also has the reach and the influence of a B2C. So it's kind of a little bit of both, right? Agreed, right? Our, our brand of Politico that has 25 million uniques coming to us each month has given us that reach and that extension and that visibility. But how we monetize that is part through advertising revenue, which is about 50% of our business. But uh, now today, over half of our revenue is coming from those uh, B2B subscriptions. So people who need this information because their livelihood depends on it. The wonks of Washington. <laughs> the swamp, basically. We don't like to think of it that way. Uh, these are swamp the people creatures who need are. to eat, too. Swamp creatures need to eat. Um, but it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting model because you have um, how many subscribers? So we have 4,000 organizations and 25,000 Politico Pro subscribers. So you mostly sell enterprise, not like people taking out their credit cards for themselves. It would be uh, an expensive credit card purchase. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would say my husband uh, couldn't trade in his car and afford to subscribe to Politico Pro. Um, so How expensive it, is it? Because we've seen big numbers out there. Um, so, I mean, I'd say that the car analogy is, is probably a good one, um, but it's definitely a premium price. It really uh, varies depending on if you're coming in for one individual with one vertical. So you're, you're a healthcare pro subscriber, you're in a few thousand dollars up to a big enterprise uh, license where you're in, um, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. So you're not advertising dependent, exactly. I mean, you're sort of, it's between the two. I mean, so I, I guess I wonder, when you're looking at where the growth is coming, and we've talked about subscriptions a lot, and a lot of people are looking at subscriptions um, that were formerly maybe over-indexed in advertising, and Politico's model is a little different. 
little bit different. I mean, so I would say that we started as primarily print advertising funded. So that's where most of our majority was coming through print. Uh, then we migrated and had most of our revenue coming from digital. And today it's mostly coming from subscriptions. Um, so our advertising is growing too. Um, but that would include things like our the growth of our live events business, where we're convening people, Focus, that's our custom branded uh, studio, content studio, um, as well as then our digital and print advertising. Okay, but where the majority of the growth is going to come in the future, I know everything's going to grow, but <laughs> some things need to grow faster than others. Subscriptions are definitely okay. driving <clears throat> our explosive growth. So how is that operating almost like two different businesses? Because you, you have an entire, how many people are on Politico Pro? So 120 reporters and editors, and then about 80 people on the business side. Okay, so that's 200. Mm -hmm. And how many people are on Politico, the regular reporting side? Similar, so about 120 So you basically have two halves, right? We do. I mean, they collaborate. They work together on stories. Um, So we think of it as one But there's not that much crossover. I mean, if you're doing the type of Politico Pro stuff for the oil industry um, or agriculture, it's not typically the stuff that's in politico.com or in politico magazine well so dan diamond who's a politico pro healthcare reporter he just broke the story on tom price uh, the secretary of hhs he ended up resigning so there is crossover so there is crossover i mean that is definitely not necessarily information pro needs a pro needed to know to do their job but it was accountability journalism so because of his uh entrenched uh connections in HHS, he got that scoop, and then he was able to to run with it and really expose misuse of taxpayer dollars. So is the newsroom almost like content marketing then for the subscription service? Or you don't like to say that to reporters? That's a great question. I mean, I would say the newsroom is our our halo, right? The things we're putting outside of the paywall, they're driving eyeballs to our site, are letting people discover that we have this subscription called Politico Pro. Um, So I would say the newsroom is a halo of that. Our playbook, which is our flagship newsletter, that's really helping people keep the pulse on what's going on in Washington and really driving the agenda of the day, that's a halo. And that is leading some percentage of those readers and subscribers, especially those people who need that information to do their job to subscribe to Politico Pro. So do you think about having subscriptions for outside of industry um, news to actually, I mean, obviously you have competitors, Washington Post's competitor, New York Times a competitor, and and they're moving towards consumer revenue. Um, they're not doing it with industry-focused content, you know, need to need to have to do your job, but they're doing it with their regular political coverage. So I would say no option is off the table, but right now Politico is really focused on those influential readers, so those people who actually their livelihood is impacted by politics and policy, and we're writing for those folks. So it means uh, in some cases our writing style um, is short to the point it's brevity it's breaking news so we're not doing a lot of the explainer journalism that uh, some of those uh, publications that are great but they're landing on the doorstep of uh, someone who doesn't work in politics and policy and they're having to do a lot of that background and let people know who's in power and why and and we assume our readers know all of that and we cut right to the heart of like what matters what's moved how it's going to impact you and we found a lot of other people like to read that journalism too, but that's not really who we're here to serve every day. So I think 
distracting our focus uh, by trying to go over that to that larger consumer audience is not where we're focused right now. So you have to keep focused on the Washington Insider, right? I mean, and and then nowadays, particularly, people are very interested, if not terrified, by what's going on inside of Washington. And so they just happen to come along for the ride. So I would say we're focused on the Washington Insider, but it goes geographically beyond Washington. So we're right. If you work on Wall Street, you're also concerned about what's going on. If you work in Silicon Valley, if you work in uh, Brussels, if you mm-hmm. work in London, right? Like right. you're following what's happening with Brexit. So like we're focused anywhere where politics and policy and power sort of intersect with industry and how that impacts industry. And so that could take us to. Right. Um, Sacramento, but it also could take us to Silicon Valley. Right, but you, Politico pulled back on this idea of exporting its model to state capitals. Not entirely. So we are still in the states where uh, we made our original push and have expanded on that a bit. So we're in Massachusetts, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Florida, California, um, and uh, expanding a little bit in California. So I think we're looking at what are the states that are really driving the policy and politics. But it's not about planting a flag in 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 the majority of states. I'm not going to say every state. Not right now. We're really looking at uh, states that are having national, if not global, impact. So if you think about a state like California, uh, Carlo, who writes our uh, California playbook, talks about, talks about the People's Republic of California. And she said California is going to start aggressively uh, using their legislature to, um, I don't want to say counterbalance Washington. Yeah, if there are emission standards in California, those emission standards are nationwide. You're not going to make cars for California and then cars for the rest of the country. Exactly. Um, so, And you've also expanded into Europe. I know yes. our, we, have a, we have a UK team, and so they've covered quite a bit, uh, you know, Politico in, in Brussels, but also in, um, in some other capitals. Explain, explain that strategy. So it's part of that strategy of where there is uh, policy and politics and power, and that's having an impact on industry, Politico needs to be. And so that could really apply to at least every democracy in the world, right? We're not going to conquer the world uh, right in a year, but we're starting that experience. <laughs> they were starting that uh, expansion, and we thought uh, Brussels, given the impact it was having on uh, definitely the technology sector. And that's sector. exported um, well, the, the sort of the, the Politico, the tone and the approach. Because I know, I, I'm sure there was a little bit of, of a, I, I lived in Brussels for a few years when I was studying, and this is a big difference between like the way Brussels and the European Union operates than the way Washington, D.C., does. Yeah, so I think there was a question Very of sleepy. could, yes, maybe in this bit of a stodgy environment, could yeah. a publication like Politico, who is uh, aggressive and we try to be fun to read, and uh, but we also are kind of relentless in our, our pursuit of the story, could that translate? We launched in 2015, so we've been there just two years. Uh, we were recently named uh, uh, in a survey of EU influencers, the most influential and the most well-read publications, so beating out um, a lot of long-standing publications that have been there since the mid-19th century. So we would say uh, it's working. <laughs> that's a wild mid-19th. But not in Europe, though. You know, everything's yes, relative. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what, what is the business model there? Are you going to make that? Are you going to build a Politico pro there is a Politico Pro there. So there's so, a Politico Pro there. It's the same model, but just in a different geography. Exactly. Similar model. So they've got... Uh, the only but you have to charge less, right? 
Um, I think you we, have to. Everything and Europeans don't pay as much as Americans. Okay. <laughs> well, it's just, I think um, the one thing. I mean, we've got we're doing events. That we've got our live events business. We've got our. Uh, advertising and we've got our subscriptions uh the one thing that we're looking at trying to expand there is this idea of native content which i think hasn't taken off there as much um and what people are willing to pay for it uh so that's i think an opportunity but otherwise the business model is really a replica and are you looking at other geographies we are yes so stay tuned (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think it's not africa (laughs) middle east not a lot of democracy um so it's got to be asia well, Could I'd say Australia. we're looking. Okay, you're looking, but nothing. North America, I think there's still opportunity, okay. right? Um, and then so looking in Asia as well. And uh, yeah, we want to uh, we want to keep. Uh, we're in just launched London Playbook, right? So mm-hmm. continue the expansion in Europe. So talk to me about Playbook because um, one of the, the the key departures was Mike Allen, and he was synonymous i would say with with playbook and i think when he left with jim vandehy to start axios um you know there's question about whether playbook would be as influential as it is and that's Mm -hmm. the challenge i think you guys have overall because you build up a lot of people and then i'm sure new york times washington posts and everyone else swoops in steals them away (laughs) but let's let's talk about playbook sure so uh playbook was started a decade ago by Mike Allen, and it was the influential sort of what you need to know to start your day in Washington. It was it's the Bible, um, and when Mike left, it did give us an opportunity to rethink what is playbook and what does playbook mean, especially in this news era, which has uh, gone from. 24-hour news cycle to a 24-second news cycle, which is uh, definitely fueled by a president who likes to tweet. Um, And so we thought about how should Playbook serve the audience, and part of that was bringing in uh, Jake and Anna, who um, Jake has a great roots in terms of covering Congress, and Anna had a background in covering uh, influence in Washington and thinking about how do we better serve our readers? And it, yes, we need to start with that morning playbook of the day. And they've actually been able to grow those subscriptions um, by about 25% since they took over just by being relentlessly focused on that. Um, but they also asked um, our audience, what do you need? And it was little things like, I need you to read it to me as I'm driving to work. Uh, so we have the audio briefing that comes out each morning. But it was also bigger things like, yes, it is still my playbook for the morning, but by the afternoon, everything has changed and the uh, I need some new you know, cocktail conversations. So we started um, our playbook afternoon briefing as well as playbook plus, which lives online and is the digital home for continuous updates throughout the day. Okay. And it's kept growing and you're still able to charge as much money. We are. Yes. Because I would guess that, that, that Mike Allen had, had helped to have a premium on it. Or is, is the idea now you're, able to to build up new personal brands? I think the idea is that uh, Playbook is about that community of individuals who subscribe and the influence that they have in Washington and the fact that they use it for real utility to understand what's going to happen that day. Uh, The people who read it are the people who are our sources who leak us information are the people who advertise in it. Um, So it's a a community and people want to engage and Mm -hmm. talk to that community. So while obviously having um, stars at the helm of that publication who really are in the know. Um, and that's uh, Jake and Anna now. And Mike was certainly uh, had a huge impact at the beginning. It's really about that community that we've convened. It's not necessarily about who the author is. So what's been the impact of Axios 
Um, we had Jim Van High on here shortly after launch, I think it was. And um, obviously a lot of people, I mean, they deny it. They, a lot of people say, well, they're just going to do a new Politico. Um, and they put you guys sort of head to head. I joked about it being Bloods and Crips. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's not. Maybe it's more friendly. Maybe it's more violent. I don't know. Uh, definitely no violence. Um, <laughs> and I think... I don't know what that makes know. the hill. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't know either. Um, but I think what... Uh, in terms of Axios, I mean, it's new competition in the in the Washington market. Um, and I think they said their focus was going to be outside of Washington, but certainly because... It seems pretty inside Washington to me. I mean, they're doing a lot of cover the coverage. And so, uh, you know, Politico's getting reached through that. And um, this is still a scoops game, right? For Mike or for Axios? No, no, no. I mean, just in in the market. I mean, your competitors, I mean, you're competing with the New York Times, with Washington Post, with The Hill, um, with all sorts of people, Wall Street Journal. Occasionally, they seem to stay away from the Trump stuff. Mm -hmm. But you're competing with a lot of people, and it seems like a return of scoops as the coin of the realm. I mean, because there's tons of them coming out of this administration. So scoops is definitely... I mean, look, you guys just made uh, the the cabinet secretary resign. Well, scoops is... uh exciting in terms of because of our insider access we're getting intelligence and that's allowing us to break news but behind that i would say what's driving uh, especially for politico what's driving our revenue is our subscription business Mm -hmm. and that is about real insight and intelligence so it's not about in some cases it's the scoop i mean i would say um for an example when the first obamacare repeal effort happened at the beginning of the year um, one of our healthcare reporters he was able to get access to the legislation two weeks before they even gave it out to members of congress right and we had Mm -hmm. um, a senator tweet out a reporter saying hey dan can you get me a can you give me a copy of that yeah. bill? Because I can't get my hands on it. So that is a scoop, but it's deep intelligence. And if we can provide intelligence to even a member of Congress or to a senator, uh, to Senator Rand Paul, who hasn't been able to get access to legislation he has to vote on on behalf of his constituents, like we're doing our job, we're providing intelligence, and that's mm-hmm. beyond just um, you know getting a, a juicy nugget. Right. So how challenging is that with resource allocation? Right. Because you know subscriptions are focused, but then the newsroom wants more resources in order to break more stories they want to they want to break all the stories about the about the various um travel snafus that the cabinet secretary seem to all have um whereas the business is you make more money off of signing up people uh to this high price subscription service i mean is that a challenge to try to figure out where to to put resources I would say both sides of the newsroom. (laughs) It's an opportunity for collaboration, honestly, right? So if folks just work in their silos, they're not going to be as effective as if a congressional reporter like Rachel Bade teams up with somebody who has deep policy intelligence like Dan Diamond uh, on our healthcare team, right? Well, when you were running Politico Pro, I'm sure you were arguing for more resources on your side because you guys were getting people to pay all this money versus the news side, which is just monetizing through ads. Everybody wants more resources. Uh, And we definitely built Politico Pro by hiring the best policy reporters from um, all of those more uh, kind of wonky policy publications, but uh, teaching them to write in uh, with a faster pace and uh, that you can make it fun to read and you can make Mm -hmm. it um, 
you can provide intelligence well without having to be dry and boring. So any advice for publishers that had been ad dependent, but now for a variety of reasons are saying, ooh, we need consumer revenue? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, focus on your audience. And if your audience is sort of broad and hard to put your finger on, I'd say pick a segment who you really want to relentlessly serve and think about what can we provide that um, if it doesn't help them do their job, at least it helps them uh, kind of live the life they want to live. And what are services and tools that you can build around them, whether it's helping advertisers mm-hmm. reach them in a really unique way um, or helping provide a service directly to those consumers. Um, that sounds different than like a metered paywall. Like, oh, you know, after you get five articles, now you got to pay us. I think it is different, right? Because right. potentially in the metered paywall, it's just all about, um, I don't want to say spray and pray, but like just produce as much content as possible and hope people will uh, want to pay to see that sixth, seventh piece of content. But it's more about um, how can we become ingrained in the fabric of what these people need on a day-to-day basis and who is that audience we really want to focus mm-hmm. on versus just the, let's write a bunch of stuff and see what gets the most clicks. How about churn? I think churn is one of the things that, you know, people when they're talking about these uh, subscription services, they don't quite realize that like once you have one up and going, then you're like, oh, great, we got a bunch of people signing. We're like, oh, no, now they're canceling. Um, any any sort of obviously you've been in this for a while. Um, first, am I, am I wrong there? I mean, managing churn would seem to be like, you know, the, a, a major, major uh, focus. That is definitely a huge key performance indicator for us like we're constantly watching churn we've got a, we're fortunate we have a 90 percent so you renewal. have 10 percent churn yes okay yeah so i mean we are lucky right i mean and i would say where the churn is is like a member of congress loses their seat or a small them. lobbying shop goes <laughs> out of business like we really can't keep those people but um we are uh, uh, fortunate that by continuously focusing yeah. uh, on coverage that like they need to have to for their livelihood, and uh, they're not nickel and diming us when they think about uh, should they renew. Yeah, that's what I wonder about with these Trump bumps um, for um, not information that is, you know, I need to do my job, but it's basically like I'm outraged. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for the New York Times, the Washington Post, whatever. I understand that, but then I wonder that would seem to me to be really susceptible to high churn rates. Because people just get numb. Yeah, I mean, I do think, right, politics and policy is at the core of Politico. So, like, we haven't changed our focus. But for some other publications who decided to kind of jump on that bandwagon and start covering politics, too, I think the Trump bump Mm -hmm. is going to deeply impact them. Uh, The Trump bump means more uh, people who started to get interested and passionate about politics and policy wanted to read the content that we produce for influencers too, um, which is great, but it's not need to have in terms of us thinking about where Politico grows and where our future uh, revenue growth comes from. I don't know if it's competition, but I, I find it really interesting how many publications now have been sucked into covering politics. You know, I mean, we had like ESPN is covering politics. Teen Vogue is covering politics. Like everyone now is covering politics. Like politics has become almost pop culture for better or for worse because it's all encompassing mm-hmm. well it drives traffic so um trump I think is it's, good for traffic tra- trump has been good for traffic i mean for politico um 
we have sustained that that Trump bump that happened in the election. And so you haven't fallen off because a lot of a lot of I, I've heard I haven't checked I haven't checked the comp score figures, but a, I've I've been I've heard that a lot of uh, political sites have fallen off. We yeah, we've sustained and maintained that uh, growth that we got during the election. Um, before we knew the election outcome, we didn't necessarily assume that would be the case, but um, we have been, continued to see people just as interested in politics and pl- policy coverage as they were before. Um, but again, um, you know, our revenue is really dependent on this very influential elite audience who were uh, selling advertising against and subscriptions to. So I would say mm-hmm. it's been great and we're glad people are interested but um it hasn't really changed our focus right so over the years you never sort of fell into like the mashable trap of of trying to cover all sorts of different industries or different parts of culture we haven't stayed so the pivot to video you're not pivoting to video we've not pivoted to video i know some people in the market are doing that um we are experimenting um so i think video before for us was uh coverage of our live events and the conversations we convene um, and making those uh, available to a broader audience through live stream and archiving them on our site or video to us was taking uh, you know a collection of uh, existing interesting sort of quotes or storylines but it wasn't our own original video uh, we are starting to experiment a little bit with with that but I don't know that it's uh, you're not a lay- you're not laying off like text journalists in order to to bring in video teams no we're okay. not. But what, I mean, the video you're doing is is mostly what it's like existing exist. I mean, because the good thing about your coverage area is like you know there's C-SPAN. There's there's all sorts of existing video assets that can be used. Like you don't have to. I mean, maybe you're, you are going to go out and like do documentary style video. Not right now. So I would say yes. It was taking together uh, existing content or quotes that were related to a story that we covered in print, or um, taking uh, snippets from our live events. But um, and then we're experimenting a little bit with. Uh, we have Matt Worker, who's this great cartoonist, and having him illustrate a little bit some of the big policy debates, mm-hmm. like tax reform, is a video that we're we're going to but launch. But it's fair but to say this is a nice to have, not like a. A must-have. Yes. Like you wake up subscriptions. Correct. Okay, that's, that's what I wanted to get. Final thing I want to talk about is the talent issue. I mean, I think Politico's, you know, been been really good about building a, a great, you know, amount of talent. But then a lot of people come after your people. Yes, right? they do. I mean, yes. um, and it seems like every your your White House uh, reporter, who's really good in Brussels, what, Tara Palmieri? I don't know. Oh, yes. I pronounce her name right, right? She, she just got, got poached. poached by CBS. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. How do you manage that? I mean, because that's really hard. Because, I mean, this is a pattern, right? Am yeah, I, I mean, this it's, up? it's a point, no, it's a point of pain and a point of pride. Um, so, I think for us, uh, the pain is losing these incredible journalists. The pride is that uh, Politico's has always hired for potential, right? We're hiring like, young journalists who have sort of all the right uh, skills and the passion and the energy um, and that want to come and build a name for themselves. And they do that at Politico. Um, so that's, we're really proud of that. The pain is when when we lose folks, um, but we're sort of constantly rebuilding and bringing in new talent. So we have an up and coming star right now, Josh Dossie, that I don't think a lot of people um, have probably heard of, but um, he started to get out on television. He broke the story about Jared Kushner and his use of private email. Um, Rachel 
Bade, who's an up-and-coming congressional reporter. I mean, we're constantly uh, bringing in new, young, rising stars who um, we hope will never get poached yeah. from us someday. Well, when they but- start popping up on TV a lot, you got to start to worry. <laughs> but we also need television oh, right to uh, uh help uh broadcast the great work we're I doing know. so i know it's a double-edged sword poppy thank you so much for joining us thank you brian appreciate and it thank you all for listening we'll be back next week with a new episode